Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com. Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. Well, welcome back to another show on Your Story with Melinda, and you are not going to want to miss this show because I have a woman who is pretty fierce and fabulous, and Helen Sworn is in studio with me. She has come from Cambodia, then to Washington, D.C., then to New York, Boston, and now is in the greater Toronto area right here in Canada to be with me in studio to talk about her heart for those that are trafficked around the world. She is an advocator, an innovator, and a collaborator because, I have to read this, because she has been working in the field of counter-trafficking and abuse since 1999. She lives in Cambodia for the past 17 years, and she has graced us with her presence here <laughs> in the studio. Helen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Melinda. It's fabulous to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad because we've been, you know, I've known you for a little bit, but I've always wanted you to be on the show and to share your story, and so here you are. Thanks for coming around the world to be here with us. I am very happy to come <laughs> around the world to be here with you, Melinda. Good. Well, let's start from the beginning because counter-trafficking and abuse, human rights, human trafficking, are pretty big topics and it doesn't just happen overnight that all of a sudden you're like here I am I'm working you know in this field and I'm passionate about it and I'm committed to doing it you're also I forgot to mention the international director of Chab Dai yes as well indeed. as the founder of Freedom Collaborative which I'm, I want to talk about later on after we talk For about your sure. story because I think those key elements of your story are very important in what you're doing now sure so let's start from the beginning how did you I mean maybe even from the start because you're from the UK I am from the UK love the accent <laughs> um, how did it all begin for Helen? What prompted it? What was your start in this kind of work? Yeah, it was it was interesting. So my background is in the corporate sector. I went okay. to business school, was doing very well. My husband and I had the right house in the right village mm -hmm. with the stream at the bottom of the garden. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people at that point would have thought, we're good, right? Yeah. yeah. But for, for me, I felt like there's this huge void in my life, and I didn't know what it was at the time. I had become a Christian in my teenage years, but I felt that it was not relevant to my life as an adult. I felt that that was my childhood rather than my adulthood. And so my husband and I went through a challenging time in our marriage, and it was at that point that I really reconnected with God. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and as I reconnected with God, I felt like God was opening up this whole new world that I had never known before. And my conversation with God at that time was, you know, God, if I'm going to be a Christian, I do not want this to be a Sunday morning, one, one day a week thing. It's like I'm in it all or nothing. Like either I'll go and I'll set up a bar in Greece or <laughs> I am all well, in for, for faith and what this means. But I can't do a halfway piece in the middle. Has it always been you, though? Is that the kind of woman, girl that you've been all or nothing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm the youngest of five kids. And it's so interesting because normally they say that firstborn girl is the firecracker. Mm -hmm. My sister, who is the firstborn girl, was 
like the most gracious, kind, loving woman. And I was at the end and there was like this firecracker who came in late, who in the school reports was, she's always outspoken and says her mind, all of this kind of stuff. So I feel like I'm this like firecracker on the end of my sibling role. Did your parents support you in that, in that kind of personality? Because as a girl, sometimes there's been sort of roles put on us or expectations of how we should act, what we're supposed to do. Yes. So it's very interesting because I was brought up, my mother was a Christian, brethren, Mm -hmm. very strong faith. My father, an atheist. Wow. Absolutely against it all. Hmm. But you know, it's so interesting because I think through all of those years in having a very diverse parenthood, it was actually my father who was more empowering for the girls in his life than my mother was. And I can remember even as I was leaving school, my mum said, you know, of course, you are not going to go to college like your brothers. You are going to work and you're going to bring money into the household. So it was a very different environment. And I think as well for my parents, they both grew up in Manchester. They were both children of very poor families Mm -hmm. in the war years. And so they were actually very stereotyped in their in their role as parents with female and male children and the expectations. How did that impact in your faith or understanding of God? Because mm. you have a father who's an atheist, you have a mother who's brethren who yes. has very sort of traditional roles, it sounds like, is imposed on their children. That must have had an, an impact on your understanding of God or faith. Now, if yeah. for you, you're saying it's all or nothing. So talk to me about that, because how did you make sense of this Jesus and this relationship and sort of this all or nothing kind of you yeah. know spirit in you? It was interesting. I think in my early years, I just looked at my mother and I'm like, I was amazed at her resilience as a person of faith. She had lost a child. She had kind of grown through all of this and had remained strong. Mm -hmm. So I think in my early years as a child, I looked at my mother and said, she is faith. Ah, She is what faith looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think that it took those later years of my teenage years and my early 20s to actually rebel and say, actually, I'm not following my mother. I need to follow Jesus in my Mm. own right. That was a big kind of separation and coming back. And I think my mother found that hard as well because I was very close to her. And then I needed to separate myself mm-hmm. from my mum to be able to pursue spirituality in my own person. So what was it then about Jesus that mm. was like, okay, I'm going to pursue you. I'm, I'm willing to kind of give up this relationship with my mum, follow her. But what was it about him that was mm. like, I'm going to pursue him and see what where he leads me, essentially? Yes. Well, it was interesting because I had come to a point that I thought, okay, it's no faith. And at that moment, it was so interesting because I had this mentor in my life who was a very strong Christian. And she said to me, what is God saying to you right now? (laughs) And I said, he is saying to me, I am going to come back to a faith in Jesus. And I am going to have a faith that I've never had, like I've never had before. And as I was saying it, because I was trying to like fight against God during this time, as I'm saying it, I'm like, Wow, that just that just came out from me. I'm like, that is clearly not me. That must be God because that's not what I would say. So I knew that God was saying to me, I'm bringing you back and I'm going to bring you back into a faith that you've never had before. Wow. So from that time, how old were you then? So I was about 24, 25. Okay. So 24, 25, when you get that sense of, okay, God's going to put me on this journey. Yes. I mean, what did you think 
initially? Because, I mean, did you think I'm going to save the world and get into human trafficking and human rights? Or were you thinking, I don't know, you know, marriage, kids? Like, what what did that look yeah. like for you? So I was already married at the time, mm-hmm. no kids. And, and I think for me at that time, it was... God, I am just willing to go anywhere and do anything. Mm-hmm. I had I had literally come to that point of surrender. I didn't know what my life was going to look like in the future. I had no idea what human trafficking was. I had no idea what those human rights abuses looked like. I come from a corporate background. Mm-hmm. And so it was for me, it's like, okay, God, lead me. Just take me where you want me to go. And that's kind of a scary prayer ask, isn't it? It's really (laughs) scary. We had this beautiful big house in this beautiful village. And I remember God saying to me, the first thing you need to give up to me is your job that you idolize in the corporate sector and your home. And uh, and I can remember actually walking through and praying through each room in the house and saying, okay, God, Mm. this is yours. I'm prepared to give this up. I know that this is truly your will. And that's hard because a lot of that is identity. (sighs) Job and value, security, home, security, identity, value within the community, what people think of us, right? So those things, when you let those go, you're like, yeah, what now? What do I have now? Right? Yeah. But I think that sometimes, I mean, with me, I think that God started me on my knees because I would just be like, yes, just mind away. I'm I'm coming through God, just like mm-hmm. move to the left there. <laughs> but I think that the place that God took me to was on my knees. And I didn't know where my marriage was going. I didn't know where my job was going. And at that point, I looked around at the house. And even though it was all that I had worked for, in some ways, it was meaningless yeah. for me. I'm like, God. I need you to bring meaning to my life. I need you to give me vision for where you're going to take me in the future. So I think at that point, actually, I was super open. It was just that then I had to go back into the workplace, give my notice in. And after not being a very nice person in the workplace and realizing what goes around comes around, Mm -hmm. my gosh, that focused me in on my faith in a way that I had never had before. So you're at that moment, you've given notice, you've sold your home. So how then do we lead into, you know, here you are, you know, an advocate giving your life to helping those in great need that are being trafficked. Mm. How do you go from there? Because that's pretty big. It is a pretty big, yeah, it is a big valley there. (laughs) So, I mean, for for me then, I I knew that God had said to me, I'm going to take you into a place that you've never been before. And it's a place that you've never known. And so we went to Bible school. I was eight and a half months pregnant with our first child. And we went to Bible school for three years. And so our daughter, Hannah, was born while we were at Bible school. And then in our last year of Bible school, we had to do a placement of really where it was that we felt God was taking us. Mm -hmm. And so it was at that that connected us to Southeast Asia. For many years, I had been praying for Vietnam. I had had a number of children. There was a number of children who had come into our school when I was in high school who had been boat people. So I had this superly strong heart for Vietnam. And so in that last year, we applied to go to Vietnam. The mission agency that we applied to said, well, you know, what I need you to do is go to Cambodia first. We need to see kind of how you are in Cambodia before we let you into Vietnam. So that was what bridged the gap from corporate life, Bible school, into South Asia first time. And what were you planning to do at first in Vietnam? Yeah. What was the focus of that? Initially, our plan was to open a business school in Ho Chi Minh City. Mm -hmm. And what we were going to do was to have 
programs for wealthy Vietnamese and then to use the profits from that to give scholarships to those who would never be able to get to business. And in and of itself, that's a good thing. It is. It's a great idea. It's a good thing to do. It is. But it's amazing how just one little change can change the trajectory of our lives and our world. Like for that man, it wasn't like, he, you know, he's like, you need to go to Cambodia yeah. first. For sure. You know, and you're you like, oh, okay. Gone. And you never would have gone. You would have gone to Vietnam and done what you just said that you were going to do. Absolutely. And to be honest, we went to Cambodia. It was about eight weeks before the coup d'etat happened there. It was not a nice place to be in. There was gunfire. There was uh, like you just basically were very restricted as to where you could go. And so I had no intentions of going back to Cambodia. Really? No intentions at all. Like Vietnam was the place that we were going to go. Mm -hmm. And after we'd been into Cambodia and Vietnam and we spent some time in Thailand really seeking God as to where we should go, that was... And I often argue with God in like, you know, like, where are you taking me? Where, where are you? Like, I've got this written in triplicate, whatever yeah. it looks like. And so it was at that point in Thailand and I'm sat with God in a prayer meeting and I'm saying, you've already spoken to my husband. You've said to him to go to Cambodia. I need to hear it from you. Mm-hmm. And if I am going to take my two-year-old daughter to Cambodia, I need to know that this is your will for me and her. And for the only time I've ever had in my life, I had an audible voice behind me. Really? And the audible voice said, this is the way and walk in it. So was it like a Morgan Freeman voice? Oh, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a deep like, this is the way that you will walk into? Was Was it male? It was. I mean, in a way, I feel uncomfortable saying that because I would like it to be a female voice. Like like walking. Helen Mirren or Kate oh, Blanchett Helen saying, Mirren. walk in the way, walk in yes, the way. Helen Mirren would be, would be just perfect. But it was so wow, that's that I kind of went, oh, there, actually there isn't anybody there. <laughs> wow. And then in the Bible where in Isaiah 33, I think it was, that says, whether you turn to the left or to the right, mm-hmm. you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way and walk in it. And that was my triplicate with God. And I mean, it was like literally from that moment onwards, I'm like, it's Cambodia. It's wherever you want me to go. I'm taking her. We're, we're going. You're going. So you end up in Cambodia. Yes. And the plan was And I had what? a five-month-old baby then oh my. as well. Because <laughs> at that point, there'd be people saying, you know, that's enough excuse to say, I need safety and I need security because <laughs> I've got two kids and a husband. Yes. And now, okay. So you go to Cambodia. Wow, Helen. What was the plan So the plan was that my husband was going to set up a vocational training school, like the precursor to the business school that we had talked about, because Cambodia wasn't quite ready for the business school, but it was ready for vocational training. So that was his piece. Now, my piece was to try and be like that, you know, sort of stay-at-home mom, homeschool your kid. No. 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 I kind of can't see that really in you. I mean, it's good good intentions. It's great intentions. It's great intentions. Right. But I'm like, I think that may have lasted about a month or so. (laughs) (laughs) And then I can remember sitting with the team Mm -hmm. and them saying, you know, there's this There's a situation that's happening on the border between Cambodia and Thailand. And there seems to be these children who are being sold through the border and we don't really know what's happening. We literally had no language around it. Mm -hmm. So they said, we need a research team to go up there. I'm like, me? 
Just like that? Yeah, I'm going to go up there. Okay. So there was about four or five of us that went up. And it was the time that the roads in Cambodia were not great. Mm-hmm. They're not great now, hey? But <laughs> they were even worse then. I can remember going along these roads and we were in this old like land cruiser and going into these potholes that were, they were as deep as the truck that we were wow. in. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm banging my head and I'm hitting my back. And I'm like, God, really? Like, can't you find me a better way better to get way. up yeah. here? And I felt like he was saying to me at that time, this is the journey. This this is the journey that you're going to be on. And when I got to the border area and I saw six-month-old kids and four-year-old kids that were the ages of my kids, I realized that God had said to me, this is what you're going to be doing with your life. You're going to be an advocate for these children that have no voice. So were these kids being trafficked? Explain what you saw, because what did you see so happening? What I saw was Cambodian children being worked on by brokers on the Cambodian side of the border because a lot of the border is very porous and they would drug traffic, they would traffic other things through, but also they themselves, once they got to the other side into Thailand, they would get picked up by the Thai brokers. And then when they were picked up by the Thai brokers, they would go to Bangkok or Chiang Mai and they would either get end up on the streets as beggars and a lot of those kids that end up on the streets as beggars get sexual exploited, that would be where they would end up. And you said six-month-olds? Six-month-old children who were on the hips of their four- and five-year-old siblings coming through the borders. They had no idea where their parents were. What would happen is the Thai police would round them up in the middle of the night, put them on the back of the truck, take them up to the Cambodian border, and then they would literally deport them through the Cambodian border. So many of them had no idea where their parents were. And they were probably working on the streets of Bangkok. So once the children had come back to Cambodia, they couldn't find their parents. So we had six-month-old and four-year-olds who who didn't know where their parents were. So as you were seeing this, Helen, what was beginning to happen within your heart and your mind to say, you know, what what do I do? What what was going on with you? And it was interesting because I felt that, I mean, a part of me was, I mean, so outraged by the fact that this was able to happen in the 21st century mm-hmm. and that people were just allowing these children to come through the border without no sort of legal jurisdiction whatsoever. But this part of me, I felt like that God was saying, This is where you are going to begin to be an advocate for these children. And it takes a village for sure. I mean, I had a deep conviction of what God was telling me, but I'm like, my gosh, where do I start? Mm -hmm. There's, There's these kids coming through the border. And so as a small mission agency, we partnered with a UN agency. Okay. And, and I know that's kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. The International Organization for Migration had a transit center there. And so we partnered with them and we received kids from them. And we set up one of the very first transition homes in Cambodia for traffic kids. And we tried to get them back to their families. Is this under Chab Dai? Or no. Is this, this wasn't Chab Dai yet? This was way before wow. Chab Dai. Okay. This was like five or six years before, before. Chab Dai when I was really just like learning what it was to work on the ground and learning what it was as well to try and wrestle with 
faith and poverty mm-hmm. and exploitation. And I felt that at that point, my my Western structured faith was literally being taken apart yeah. block by block. And I'm like, God, this isn't what I learned in church. It wasn't what I learned in Bible school. Like, where are you in all of yeah. this? And I can see that. I can see where you could sit there and look at this and go... This is how can this happen to innocent yeah. children like this? And how can people so evil do this? Yes. And where is all the goodness? And God, where are you to intervene? Absolutely. Yeah. How did you reconcile that? Because I would say that not even on an extreme level, so many people struggle with that question. Of course. Because they look around the world and say, all of this evil things yes. happening, all these things. And God, where are you? You're a God of love. You're yes. a God that's for people, for children, for the marginalized. Yes. But it doesn't seem that you're really doing anything for them. That's exactly right? what I thought. And God has said, I put you, this vision in you, for you to be a part of the response to this. And that's it, right? That's the kind of response we need to, the perspective we need to take. Yeah. I had pushed it all back on God and saying, okay, God, like, and I mean, I still get angry with God. This is, this is your responsibility, God. You brought these people into the earth. And he's like, gave you the vision to make a change. Wow. And now (laughs) this is for you to make a change. And literally, I'm like, what do I, what do I have? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's the willingness to even just step into the ring, not knowing. And in a way, you know what? 11 years on, I'm really pleased that I didn't know. Because <laughs> yeah. if you did, you might not have done I'd it. I'd be like, okay, right. I'm done. That's a really profound thing. What did you say? You said it's the willingness to step into the ring. Yeah. Absolutely. Because rather than blame, we yes. say, I would then take responsibility and do something. Yeah. Oh, because it's so easy to blame. It's blame so God, easy. blame everything else. Yeah, but then blame realize, society, blame yes. everybody else. But it's like, I totally believe that knowledge equals responsibility. And that as God put that knowledge into me, and I had that knowledge of what I saw in front of me, I then had a responsibility. So in that, what did you do? What was the responsibility? Where did Chab die and Freedom Collaborative mm. start? So then it was so interesting because as I saw these other faith-based organizations start to pop up all over the place, and again, I saw a part of myself, they had a heart to respond, right. and they were. They were taking responsibility for it. But what was happening, there were these silos that were kind of coming up all over the place, and they weren't interconnecting with each other. Okay, yeah. And it's interesting what God does. You know, I kind of felt like my business life before was my non-spiritual life, and God would never use my business part because that <laughs> was my not nice part. Yeah. And God was like, remember all that strategic planning you did? Okay, this is the time to put it into action. Ah, okay, there you and go. And I'm like, really? Like that, <laughs> that nasty business side? He's like, yeah. You the got skill that and skill. tools that you have can actually help. And Absolutely. Great. Yeah. And so God pulled those business skills and he said, that strategic mind that I gave you, bring it into this NGO sector and help these groups work together for the much bigger vision that many of them don't even understand. And so that's what I did. I brought those groups around the table and said, okay, this is a criminal network. The word being network. Mm. If we do not address a criminal network 
with a networked response, we are never, ever going to see an end to this. And the second thing is, whether we like each other or not, we're actually mandated to work together as the body of Christ. Mm, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, make job, yes. Absolutely. It's done, right. So that's Freedom Collaborative. So that was the beginning of Chabdai Chabdai Coalition. That was about 10 and a half years ago. We've now got 55 organizations, faith-based organizations, working together strategically to end trafficking in Cambodia. Then as I started to see how that was working, I'm like, how do we upscale this? Because this is actually a global network. It's Mm -hmm. not a Cambodian network. This is a global network. And so how do we have a global network? So, you know, in this day and age, I may be a dinosaur, but, you know, I find somebody who can actually develop an online app that says, let's take your lessons learned from Cambodia and let's upload it to a platform. So we've now got the Freedom Collaborative, which is an online platform of the anti-trafficking community to come together. um, So Chab Dai is Cambodian, like Chab Dai. So you're part of that. Yes. And that's for Cambodia? Absolutely. Okay. Then Freedom Collaborative is worldwide. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there was this little tiny coalition, Chab Dai coalition in Cambodia that had this crazy big idea to set up an international global platform, which was a coalition. And we just launched it the kind of the revamp version two months ago right now we've got a thousand users we've got 200 wow. organizations in more than 20 countries and it's not just faith-based it's it's actually really interesting because it's bridging the divide between the faith-based community and the non-faith-based community so we're having discussions around all sorts of things around trafficking prostitution child rights we're bringing very diverse stakeholders together who would never get around the table normally. So let me head because this is huge. So it Freedom is. Collaborative is a network and resources and yes. you connect online. You connect, yes. okay. Is it all online or is there meetings around the world Everything or how does it is work? Online. Okay. Everything is online. So we have an online community yeah. that has like this daily like Facebook style news feed. Okay. We have this online map of the entire world that tracks all of the organizations and users around the world. And then we have this library and resource center of thousands of pieces of research in many different languages. And so you can private message people in any language, you can upload research in any language. But the thing that is fascinating of what's happened in the last couple of months is that we have got this dialogue happening Mm -hmm. in the community. And I don't believe there's any other environment where faith-based organizations, organizations that are pro-sex work, academia, grassroots shelters all come together and they're dialoguing on the same issue. So Helen, this is amazing. We just have a little bit more time, but I just want to know how do people for Chabdai Mm. and for Freedom Collaborative, how do they access it? How do they connect? So for Chabdai, easy, just go to the website, Chabdai, C-H-A-B-D-A-I.org. They can see all of the programs that we're doing on the ground there in Cambodia. We've got an amazing staff of 50 who are the grassroots okay. advocates yep. on the ground freedomcollaborative.org again all one word individual users can join up on the platform and if you've got anti-trafficking stakeholders they can register their organizations and i think too after hearing you know what you're saying is that you know we collectively around the world need to pray to join freedom collaborative in any way to just support you in yeah. this. And just ending just can you just give me a stat or number what is the situation i mean we don't have time but just as far as numbers what are we saying as far as 
those that are human trafficked? What yeah, I mean, there's now? a lot of differences around the numbers, but around 30 million people a year are enslaved. That's sex trafficking and labor trafficking. As we become more and more consumer driven, you know, this is supply and demand. Yeah. This isn't, you know, people saying, well, it's okay because I would never visit a prostitute. It's like, well, where are you buying your clothes? Where are you buying your coffee? What rugs are you buying? Mm -hmm. And so it's like we need to actually identify every part of our lives in order to see who we're exploiting. Yeah. And so we're all a part of the problem and we're all a part of the solution. Beautiful. Helen, thank you so much for stopping in the studio. Lots there. Your story is an inspiration. Thank you for the good work you're doing around the world. And for all of you listening and watching, you need to make sure that you support Sign Up Freedom Collaborative and Chab Dye, right? Thank you, Melinda. Thank you so much. Come back again. I will. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of FaithStrongToday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.